This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Hello and welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Glimsdahl and my guest on the podcast today is Shemen Ross. Shemen is the President and Chief Customer Officer at the Killer Brownie Company. Welcome to the podcast, Shemen. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, the one nugget, I always try to find something that people might not know about you. And before you uh, were the President and Chief Customer Officer, at the Killer Brownie Company, you were uh, you are a registered and still a registered nurse. That's right. I practiced as a registered nurse for a little over twenty years. Um, I still have a current license just because I worked so hard for it. Mm. <laughs> I keep my license current. Um, but then when I started this role in two thousand thirteen, I was just primarily working with my family's business. So I've been doing that since then. Yeah, no, that's awesome. How does um, being a nurse align with what you do today? It really is amazing to me how much of that background has been useful and in what I'm doing now. Because to me, both the role as president and taking care of customers is really just caregiving. Mm. And that I got, you know, you become very in tune to your patients and what their needs are. And it's just the ultimate customer service experience, taking care of patients and listening to their needs. And that was actually um, a really kind of easy transition for me as I took on this role was just listening, observing what customers needed. And it's really transitioned again into the role as president because my primary focus is taking care of those that are part of our organization. So uh, it's surprising how much those things kind of relate, but I say frequently that I feel like I've been in a caretaker role most of my life, and I still mm-hmm. feel that way. Um, and it allows me to continue to look at, you know, what are the needs both of the company and the people in our company and also our customers. Yeah. I will tell you another thing that's been really interesting, being in the food industry, learning to um, make sure that we're compliant with all the regulatory bodies like the FDA it's very similar language. So as we've developed product, food safety, those things are very important to me because I came from a background where I was used to documenting things, used to being um, safe for patients. And so translating that to food safety has been easier than expected because it's all a very similar world, making sure that you're doing things that are safe for consumers. So that's helpful too, yeah. Yeah, that was actually way more than I expected. So very, very cool. it sounds like the uh, registered nurses uh, need to take a class on customer experience because that's <laughs> how you listen and pay attention to the customers. It might be a, a course that you can bring up to, to uh, the school that you went to. But yeah. <laughs> so uh, for the low, those of the listeners who don't know, how did the Killer Brownie Company, how did they get started? So my grandfather in 1948 started a specialty grocery store. 
that my dad then took over um, in the 1970s. And he was always looking for a, the right product to differentiate us from the competition. And so in the um, early to mid 1980s, started making this product, the Killer Brownie, that um, he had actually learned the concept. It had been around for a long time. A stuffed brownie had been around for a long time. Um, but he had um, started making it in our bakeries in the late 1980s and it was called the killer brownie more of a, like as a catchphrase like you would think of like as like a killer wave you know it's like this cool <laughs> descriptive phrase you know from like the surfer dudes yeah. so um and then in 1988 he actually trademarked the name because it hadn't been trademarked yet and he really saw potential in both the product and then also the potential and the really insight to see that it was important to trademark that name. So, and then in the year 2000, he actually established it as a separate wholesale entity apart from the retail grocery store, because more and more people were starting to want to carry the product, like kind of friends in the business. Mm. And so it made sense to him to establish that business then at that time. So that's the many years of history kind of all rolled into one sentence. Um, but it was just this great product concept that had a great name and then kind of grew itself by itself into a potential for a great wholesale company. So we're now separate as a wholesale entity, still owned, privately owned by both families. Um, so I still work closely with my family. My role is as president of just our wholesale company. Yeah, and, and just a side note. So my wife grew up in Dayton and so her favorite store was Dorothy Lane Market or, or DLM for the cool kids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, no, I know you're local. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and so the, the crazy part, and, and I'll, I'll explain the whole local thing one step further is, and I didn't really understand this, but every time that we went on vacation, we would take a DLM bag with us. <laughs> And we would go around and take pictures in these vacation spots, regardless if it was the Caribbean or, you know, somewhere in Barcelona, wherever we were going at the time, we would take pictures of the bag and then you guys would, uh, with the bag, and then you guys, uh, Dorothy Lane Market would hang it up on the wall. Um, and uh, uh, in the meantime, as we were walking by to the cashier to show them the picture, you'd walk by, the, by these ridiculous uh, three-layered brownies uh, and that's kind of how I started getting interested in in uh, uh, DLM, which made me kind of want to keep going back. But if you guys, really cool. uh, <laughs> you, you stick them in the right at the very beginning of the entrance of DLM. Um, and it's it's a little bit sneaky because you kind of smell it as soon as it goes in with all the other pastries. So I uh, <laughs> just want to say it's well placed. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that was a famous name in famous places. And those pictures are all still up. There's actually um, one, I think on the space shuttle, there's one in like space. There's a Dorothy wow. Lane Market grocery bag in space. <laughs> so what you're trying to tell me is I need to step my game up. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who in the family thought, you know, these brownies are good, but how about we add not just one, but two layers of brownies to make them better? Well, it was originally, like I, I mentioned, my dad um, was looking for items that were unique and special. Mm -hmm. So he's really kind of the inspiration on going out and finding concepts and inspiration for things like that. And um, he was, you know, when you think about a product like that, typically what was in a grocery store bakery were just very um, more commodity type items mm -hmm. or a special, you would go to a specialty bakery to have any kind of special handmade type product. So it was 
kind of new in those times for a grocery store to have such great items. Now we see grocery stores, it's a, the game is definitely elevated. Um, so it, that's, it was kind of its own thing at that time. And really how it got started to get notoriety is they started putting it in what was also a new concept, which was box lunches. So local uh, companies would order a box lunch to be delivered, a lot of offices, things like that. And, and the dessert in the box lunch was a killer brownie. Mm. And so it kind of started to get this local cult following in the 1980s because people were like that became that famous brownie that people would travel to that a grocery store bakery had, which again, at that time was kind of, you know, in a class all of its own. Um, so it really, you know, being having the faith to get behind a product like that and go out on a limb, not knowing what customers would think. And now of course the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting to see what happened with it, but it was really, my dad was the inspiration behind making it a big product in our stores. Mm. That's, that's really neat. So you guys had this original brownie, um, but you didn't just say, Hey, we had this really cool original brownie. We're gonna, just going to ride this thing out into the sunset. But you're like, Hey, there's other flavors that might uh, be good too. And you probably dabbled in a few, but what flavors do you guys have today? Um, and maybe what's the most popular? Um, I should have written these all down. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, we've developed a few um, that, or have were really fun concepts like there was actually a blueberry killer brownie it is not still around mm. which i'm not sure how that sounds um today we have about 10 11 flavors with some seasonals and we're always trying new ones like for instance this year we're rolling out a pumpkin killer brownie which we have talked about doing for many years but we wanted it to be a clean ingredient we wanted it to have just the right uh, flavor profile. We wanted it to be able to hold up the caramel. So that took us about nine months of R&D to get to. So we're very excited about this year. But some of our other flavors are we have several flavors that don't have nuts. So the original killer brownie is about 25% caramel. When you think of the weight of the brownie, 25 to 30% caramel. And um, it has pecans in it. So then we have several flavors that do not. So our cookie dough is probably our, our top flavor next to original. And it has the top is a cookie dough. The mm. bottom is the killer brownie. It still has the caramel. All the killer brownies have the signature car caramel layer. They're all about a third of a pound, except for the German chocolate, which is a personal favorite, but um, it's more like locally loved. And then we have when we call not a nutter, which is like a triple chocolate. We have a peanut butter, a salted caramel, blonde. Confetti is a super fun one online. Huge Instagram hit. Um, raspberry cookies and cream. We use real Oreo cookie bits uh, for that one. We have a peppermint that we do every fourth quarter, and I think I covered most of them. Yeah, <laughs> you did good. I actually have the website up, and I was going to challenge you a little bit, but I think you actually got it. the The blonde ambition sounds really good. the The one I haven't tried, you said, is the raspberry or your favorite, the German chocolate. So. Um, uh, sounds really, really neat. Um, you know, my wife's favorite, I think I had mentioned prior was the not a nutter and that was kind of her go-to. She's, she loves chocolate, but yeah, lots of chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. She's on, <laughs> on mission to, to have that. But, um, you know, speaking of mission, uh, you know, your mission states that we craft the world's most delightful brownie experience, uh, which is, you know, Awesome to have that for your transition today as, as the president and chief customer officer. Um, how do you guys live out the mission at uh, the Killer Brownie Company? Well, I think 
as when you first read that, you might think, well, that just means they make really great brownies, which we do. Mm -hmm. um, and because we have our whole line of signature brownies that you see on our website, but we also have an entire line of brownies that are more of the everyday traditional fudge like that you would think of that you make at home. And a huge part of our business is actually working with customers as a private label program or in grocery stores all across the country. And we work, we'll create a product for um, a customer specific to them, depending on the volume and the size. So we do um, quite a lot outside of what you think of as the traditional signature brownie. Mm -hmm. So yes, we want customers to have a great eating experience. But for us, when we think about that mission statement, that includes everything from concept to consumption. So it's everything that goes behind creating the product, which includes how we treat people, how within our organization, how we invest our money, how we strategically grow, how we communicate with our team so that every part of that experience is truly the best it possibly can for the eventual consumption by the consumer. Because consumers know when something's not right they know if you're not committed to a certain part of your business and i also think that when we think about every bit of our business and the partnerships that we have with customers which we're primarily b2b um, we want their experiences to be delightful as well we want them to think of us as a vendor that is responsive and that gets them what they need and that orders are on time and the quality is what it needs to be. And no one person can do that by themselves. It's impossible. Yeah. You have to have a team of really great people that are bringing their best selves every day that feel appreciated. And so when I think about what that means as a mission statement, it's everything that goes into that from the first brainstorming idea, like is this the right idea for our brand, to who we partner with, to their experience, to ultimately a customer taking the first bite of the brownie. Mm. So hopefully that kind of encompasses all those things that are important to the experience. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's not just the customer. And, I, and we'll get more into the employee a little bit, but I, I love how you're kind of rolling in the customer and, and employee experience on both sides. So. Um, you know, with your title today, it's the president and chief customer officer. So which title came first? I started as the chief customer officer. So primarily I came in just um, both at sales and also customer service, taking care of the current customers that we had and kind of looking at what was the potential with the business and growing the business and being a little bit more strategic about it. And I was in that role actually until 2019. So I was just made the president of the company last year. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you, you still kept it just like you did when you were a nurse, you kept your caretaking um, uh, role with you, right? As you rolled into the, the, to the president role. So why was it important for you to keep that, the chief customer officer role as you were rolling into the president? You know, I, there was a lot of thought and discussion that went into that because to me, if a person is the president just of a company, I may not feel like I can call them anymore. Mm. And it was really important to me that all of our customers felt like I was still accessible and that I was still, their business was still very important to us. Now we have since added to our sales force, but I've continued to keep that part of my title because I wanted them to feel like I wasn't going anywhere and that their needs were still very important to us. We would just be adding people to our team. And also it's important to me to have a pulse on what customers need. 
I think as a president of a company, I, for me, I didn't want to get so far removed from what is the market demand and what are the customer's experiences and what things should we be I didn't want to brainstorm about ideas that I thought were great that we would eat at my house, <laughs> but also ideas that actually work because like we can sometimes come up with ideas that we think are so great and we like to all this great photography and we just think we're so smart. <laughs> and then we find out that like not one single customer asked about that product. <laughs> so for me, it's really like listening, not just to what we want to do, but like what do customers want? What do they need? What do we need to be changing? So that's why both of those titles are, were important to me because I could still feel like I was very much in tune to what, what we needed to do for the future of our company, but also what we needed to do to take care of customers. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great reason to keep the, the CCO role. Uh, the one thing that I don't appreciate, but I do appreciate, uh, sounds confusing, but uh, is when I follow you on LinkedIn and you guys send these amazing pictures uh, nonstop through my, through my LinkedIn feed. And it just makes me hungry. I'm not so, sorry. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm not mad, but uh, it makes me uh, drool a little bit every time I see him. So um, why is it important for you uh, and your organization to focus on customer experience? Um, well, because again, I think that that's what makes memories about you as th there's a lot of people that make sweets. There are a lot of people that make great product. I mean, I think our product is really special, but what about you is memorable? Like I think of all my memorable experiences with a product yeah. and it's more than just the product was great. It was, what is the company represent? What are they about? What was my experience with them? Um, were they interested in, in listening to me? So I think the customer experience really drives the decisions, so many decisions that we make, but it's really about building long-term relationships, whether that customer is a vendor or is another um, wholesale customer, or if they're an end consumer who's experiencing the product, we want them to have positive memories about us and start to build a longer-term relationship with us. Yeah. Uh, one of one of the um, statements that you said uh, when we had our first call was you can't have a bad organization experience and a great customer experience. And that really stuck with me because uh, we just talked about earlier is uh, happy employees equal happy customers. And so how do you invest in your people today? And, and why is that important? Um, we invest in a few ways. Um, directly, we do actually have a profit sharing program. So each quarter as our company profits, we share those profits with absolutely everyone, including part-time employees that have worked at least a thousand hours. It was inspiration from the book, Great Game of Business. And that's actually what we call our program. So it really, um, we invest financially and all in them directly, but also it helps everyone to feel like they have ownership in the whole process. Um, and then the other ways that we invest are some things that you might not think of as investments for employees, but one thing that I thought of is in the equipment that we purchase, because very often we purchase equipment both to create efficiencies, but also for employee experience. If we find that they're doing some repetitive motion, that would be much easier on them if we automated then we start looking at that and how that will make their experience better. What we recently moved into a new facility and a big part of our decision-making was what's the most comfortable floor to stand on all day when you're in production. That's an investment in how they're spending their day and caring about them, uh, 
to make their job day in and day out better. So invest in them in that way as well. Um, we also invest in them in training and even adding support positions within our company. So if we find that one person is doing the job of, of two people, it's time to actually add another person <laughs> so <laughs> that they're still, you know, doing not trying to take on too much. So we try to be very aware of how people are and with their role and their responsibilities, make sure it's not becoming too much. Um, the great thing about having an organization where people are happy is that people love to work and are excited to be here, but that can also be a downside too. So we really try to be aware that people are not working themselves to death or, you know, at night, everyone, please go home. It's time to go home. <laughs> um, that you, you know, you have to be careful that people are not, um, running themselves into the ground. So we try to be aware of, of noticing when people are tired or they work too hard or what do we need to adjust or change? So I think that's a, a way of investing them, investing in them and also training and education are very important to us. So we do onboarding both for food safety and then also about our culture at the beginning. We do ongoing training. We do ongoing training with our management team um, we're, and we're constantly figuring out um, what's the next thing that we need to be doing to support them, both training not only for efficiencies as far as um, everything from quality or, or product production, et cetera, but also training for management and um, growth and management style and leadership. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of leadership training and it's not just for the leadership team, but everybody's a leader. Um, and one of my most favorite phrases I ever heard was from Clay Mateel, who owned, started and sold Imes. I'm sure everyone knows who he is. And he said that the, oh my goodness, I'm going to mess it up now. <laughs> <laughs> the wisdom of the decision has nothing to do with the position. Mm. I think I said it right. But I, I think of that in terms of how we invest in our people because we believe leadership is at every level. Yeah. And so it's, we invest in ways to try to support people to become their best selves. Hopefully that all kind of tied it together. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. Um, even I was just saw a quote from Simon Sinek who said, uh, leadership is not a title. Um, it, it doesn't matter the title you have. It, leadership is, is how you act and what you do in, in that moment. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's, so there's, there's a bunch of quotes around that, but, um, We'll, we'll, we'll save that for, for another time. But um, the one thing that I noticed um, literally right before this call, so I had to make sure that I um, put it in as a, is, you know, a, a really cool thing that you guys do is, um, you know, you have an internal program to encourage teammates to publicly recognize one another. Can you explain a little bit about that? And then maybe what was the result that you had? So we call that our Brownie Points program. And it, we were finding that obviously as managers, we were recognizing our teammates, but we really wanted them to take ownership of noticing and recognizing each other, even in small things. And so the way the program works is we have these, we have a um, like, you know, a big like bingo thing <laughs> where you flip around all the stuff inside and you can fill out a little form and each person that recognizes something about someone has to put their name on it as well as who the person they're recognizing because we didn't want it to be anonymous 
we wanted everyone to have the opportunity because the reality is, is if I say I Shemen or Nick recognizes Shemen for whatever, we both get recognition. So you're actually giving yourself some recognition mm. by being a part of that program. And so we thought that was a way for people to kind of rise above themselves a little bit by just simply noticing each other. But some unbelievable things have happened, have really come out of that. One thing is there's a really common theme amongst all of these things people recognize about each other. So we're learning what our values are within the company by what people notice about each other. Help, mm. support, little things. Um, so much humor has come out of this. We laugh all the time anyway here, but they're hilarious things that people write down. You know, just all the little fun things that they notice about each other. Mm. Um, so that's been amazing to see. It's been amazing to see the people who were quiet kind of rise up and there are people who have been just quietly observing and um, appreciating their teammates. It's been amazing. And one thing I actually noticed this month is that I'm finding that people are now starting to really step up um, and maybe a person who was kind of like, maybe not as, as maybe more just to themselves are now finding ways to be more helpful because they know people are noticing and that we're all looking out for each other. So it's just been this really incredible program internally. And then we take and we post those in the break room for a whole month. We post them all up for everybody to read. And then each month when we do new ones, we take those down and we hand them out. And we're finding that we're having hundreds of them every month. One thing that we do, and it takes a long time, but it's so much fun. Once a month we have a meeting, we pass them all out and we read every single one of them. Wow. And when we first started and there were like 30 of them, it didn't take very long. Now it takes like 20 minutes, half hour, but that's okay. But it's, everybody is so engaged and listening and looking out and hearing what everybody is doing. And then we do a draw, kind of a fun drawing for a gift card every single month. Um, but it's just been so awesome to see everyone recognize each other like that. It's been really yeah. cool. That's a really cool uh, program because uh, when I saw the picture, it's not just like one tack with one um, piece of paper. There is like six or seven pieces of paper on every tack and this board is completely full. Mm -hmm. um, and my guess is when people are listening for that one month when everybody's kind of going around and maybe not even reading their own, um, they're probably saying, oh man, hey, I think mine's coming up. As soon as theirs comes up, maybe they're they kind of brighten up a little bit. And then that rest of the day, they probably have a little pep in their step. Like, haha, remember when I did that really cool thing? Or remember when I wrote that really nice thing to Shaman? That, that was really cool. Uh, I'm so glad I did that. Maybe I'm going to keep an eye on, um, you know, maybe Joe or Susan or Frank or whoever else, uh, because I noticed that they've done something good too. So it's a con constant cycle of ways to, to uh, acknowledge the people around you. And I think that's a, a really cool way to do about do that. Yeah, I think recognition is one of those things in life that's way underrated. I think we think of ways to take care of people. Obviously, monetarily is important, um, being kind. But I think recognition is way under underrated. I think it's every single one of us really appreciates being appreciated or recognized for hard work. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be an integral part of anyone's business and company. Um, or you may lose someone and not really know why if you're not acknowledging or appreciating all their hard work. Mm, 
Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so everybody had to pivot a little bit uh, during this craziness we call uh, a pandemic um, over the last few months. So how did you have to change your business or how you went about it or the relationships? Uh, explain a little bit about that. Our primary business is, is B2B. So we have a business to business business model, but we have a B2C facing. So we still have um, like our Instagram, Facebook, everything is B2C. So um, what we had to do really was adopt or adapt to what our customers needed. So we had some purchase orders that ended up being on hold because everyone in, in the world kind of went in a freeze mode a little bit, not really know, knowing what to expect, what to do. And so initially we just were whatever customers needed, if they needed us to hold on purchase orders, if they needed us to delay, whatever they needed to do, because I knew that they were in experiencing the same kind of stress that we were and uncertainty. So the very first thing we really did was just kind of pause, figure out what people needed, make sure to take care of the immediate. And then um, we very quickly got together and decided that one of the most important things that we could do was still maintain um, our presence in the, in the business community and to make sure that we were still messaging with um, our marketing. Um, so we actually increased our marketing. We increased our email campaigns. Um, we started to promote items that we felt customers wanted, which were in retail ready packaging. So anything that had less touch points to it, we really started promoting those items. So we shifted a little bit. Um, we just increased our communication with all of our customers, brokers, anyone in the supply chain. Um, and that really did help. But I would say the pivot was really listening to people, finding out what people needed and not going away because it's really scary when all these things change. When you're in a business, you can get panic mode. I want to shut everything down, want to lay people off. And we did not want to do that. And actually, I'm, I'm very proud to say we didn't lay anyone off during that time. Wow. We continue to produce. We just try to strategically and smartly build inventory that we would need um, for closer to fourth quarter. And we just made some intelligent decisions about buying and selling um, in order to maintain that. But we also just, like I said, we really tried to find out what customers needed and got the right products in front of them. Yeah. And for us, thankfully, we were able to kind of get through those couple of months. Okay. And we feel very positive about where we are now and where we're headed. Um, so, you know, being willing, being able to, to adjust a little bit to those needs um, has helped us. Right. Yeah. It almost sounds like the, you said you increased your email um, emails, you increased your marketing. Um, so maybe some of these small pivots or, or five degree turns um, that are still going to get you into the end zone or, or to complete your business outcomes uh, might actually be an escalation in uh, into that pace uh, or to getting you into the end zone a little bit quicker if I were to use a football analogy. Yeah. Hopefully there's football in the fall. That's maybe why yeah. I'm throwing that out. It's your subtle hint. There you go. Uh, but, um, you know, speaking of the future, what does, what does the future hold for the Killer Brownie Company? Well, we've done some things that have really put us in a place to be able to, to work with or talk with anyone who wants a really great brownie experience. We're food safety certified. We have been for several years. We most recently became kosher, which is very exciting. 
Um, so as we think about the future, we think of ourselves as a household name in any grocery store or chain that you can go in across the country. Mm-hmm. We think of us having a product line that people recognize from several feet away. <laughs> we think of us continuing to have the most delightful product and experience you possibly can. Um, and we see our business continuing to grow both physically here in our space, growing outside of the space that we've recently just moved into. Um, We see ourselves growing our marketing team, growing our sales team, um, continuing to automate, um, growing into other ways of packaging brownies, some really exciting things that we're working on right now. Um, So the future for us is very exciting. And we do, we're one of the only companies, I think we're actually the only company in the wholesale retail space that only makes brownies. So we'll continue to specialize in just that so because it's what we do really well and um, we're excited about growing that. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a fun future. Uh, so we've talked about uh, flavors. Uh, we've talked about your favorite brownie. We talked about kind of the direction of Killer Brownies. Um, my guess is uh, all of my listeners are probably uh, crazy hungry right now thinking about all these amazing specialty treats so how do they go about uh finding these addicting brownies um you know do they go to the website or what's the best way to to find them maybe uh other ways to to get them in store what's what's the best way so they can go to our website and search a location near them anywhere in the country and they'll be able to pull up if products are being carried by um, a retail location near them or they can go onto our website killerbrownie.com and order there or Goldbelly as well um, carries the product so they can check either one of those websites and they can have them shipped anywhere in uh, the continental U.S. to them. Sounds like a plan so uh, go ahead and get those brownies. Um, uh, Shaman, I ask, I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Uh, so the first question is what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And the second question is, is if you could leave a note to all the customer service and all the customer experience professionals and everybody would hear it, what would it say? The first thing I would say is actually a book, um, called double, double, And I read the book in February prior to all this stuff happening. There's a chapter in that book about what to do in a recession. Mm. And I sort of skimmed over it because the economy was so great. And then when COVID hit, literally in the middle of March, I was like, that book had a chapter about what to do. And I opened it up and we followed it like a guidebook. Um, And a big part of it was watch all your, where all your spending is except for marketing and sales, Hmm. spend more in marketing and sales. And that's what we did and it worked. And I really feel like that book, it's just so funny how that chapter was lying in there (laughs) with all those answers tucked away in that chapter. So anyway, double, double. And then, and and, and, uh, so you need to, you need to email the author and tell him what you did and give him a testimony. uh, (laughs) So maybe he'll, he'll put you in the next book. Yeah, so that that was a pivotal, just happened to be pivotal book. And and I read frequently, I could talk all day about all these great books that I love, but I, that one was really important in this time. Um, and then, so, and the one thing that I would tell other customer service professionals is to try to do more listening than you do talking. Really listen to what customers need, current customers, customers with issues, future customers in the sales process, just listen. People will tell you what they need even if they don't use the words. <laughs> They'll tell you through their emotions, through their experience, 
just listen and try and, and um, accommodate their needs as opposed to thinking about, well, this is what I offer, this is what I do. Think about what they need first and you always have a great experience that way. Hmm. That is some great advice. So um, you can connect with Shemen on uh, LinkedIn. So Shemen Main Ross, so S or C-H-I-M-E-N-E. M-A-Y-N-E, Ross, R-O-S-S, uh, or go to their website, Killer Brownies. They are also on Instagram, so go check them out and, and look at those delicious treats, and you can get a hold of them on their Contact Us page. Um, thank you so much, Shaman, for your time. I've enjoyed the conversation and look yeah. forward to heading over to DLM next time in, I'm in town. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick. This was super fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.